This ethics podcast is dedicated Le'ilu Nishmas and in loving memory of Gershon Ben Shmuel, may his soul be elevated in heaven. We're up to chapter 5, the final Mishnah. And again, like we mentioned last time, in some versions, the version we're using, it's lumped together with the previous Mishnah. We're going to separate it out as 527. A really short message. Ben Hey Hey Omer. Ben Hey Hey says, Lefum Tsara Agra. In proportion to the pain, to the exertion, is the reward. So this is a teaching, a really short teaching. It also rhymes, Lefum Tsara Agra. And it means, to the degree of pain that a person endures in doing a mitzvah, in studying Torah, that is the degree of reward that they get. Now, who was the author of this Mishnah, ben hey hey He was a sage from the times of Hillel. So we're talking about the first century before the Common Era. And like the author of the previous Mishnah, ben Bagbag, we really don't know much about him. We don't find many citations from him in the literature. But we do find the following really interesting exchange. This is an exchange that we've mentioned in the past. Fascinating, found in the Talmud of Chadiga on page 9b. The Talmud tells us that Bar Heihe, the son of Heihe, he said to Hillel, he said to Hillel, the elder, quoted a verse in scripture, the book of Malachi. It says, what is the meaning behind the verse that says, you should differentiate between a tzaddik, a righteous person, and a rasha, and a wicked person. Between someone who worships God, so there's a differentiation between the righteous and the wicked, and those that worship God, versus those that don't worship God. So ben Hehe or bar Hehe, as he's called in the Talmud, he says, wait, what's going on over here? Why are there two classifications? Why does it differentiate between a tzaddik and a rasha, a righteous person and a wicked person, and someone who worships God, and someone who does not worship God? You would think that those are one and the same. If you're a tzaddik, you worship God. If you're a rasha, if you're a wicked person, you don't worship God. Why are there two seemingly redundant classifications Righteous versus wicked, worshiping God versus not worshiping God. So Hillel responded, someone who worships God and someone who does not worship God in this context can both be a tzaddik, can both be a completely righteous person. But here's the difference. When someone studies Torah a hundred times, they haven't quite worshiped God. And they're not quite at the same level as someone who studies and reviews 101 times. And therefore, someone who studies 100 times didn't worship God. And someone who studies 101 times, they do the extra time, they indeed worship God. So ben he asks Hill, he says, wait a minute, if someone studies 100 times, it's still not enough? To consider like they worship God? So he tells him, says you could, you could see a following analogy in the market of donkey drivers. 
if you hire a cab, a donkey driver, to take you 10 parsas, 10 parsames, they'll charge you one dinar, one gold coin. But anything more than 10, it's already two gold coins. Similarly, you do it 100 times, that's kind of one level. You do more than that, you've already done it 100 times. And you do 101st time, that's already a whole different level. That's above and beyond. And that indicates subservience, worship of God. It's like when you go to like a parking, you go to parking, it's $3 an hour, and you come back 61 minutes later, you've already paid for the second hour. You do more than the norm or more than the measure, that already makes a big difference. Now, it's interesting that the Talmud sources this idea that not only should you study 100 times, you should go above that and study 101 times. It sources it from ben Hehe, the author of our Mishnah. And it makes you wonder, you know, there's a certain measure of pain to review something that you you think you already know. You've already mastered it. You've done it 100 times. 100 times you've done it. And you push yourself to do it one more time. And that, we're told, transforms you from someone who, to a certain degree, does not worship God into someone that does worship God. There's a certain pain that you've now endured, and perhaps that's why he is the author of this Mishnah, to talk about the power and the transformation and the reward of enduring some pain for study for the Almighty. The Talmud tells us in the same the same book of Talmud, page nine B of the book of Chadiga, that this Barhehe character had an interaction with Elijah the prophet, which again Elijah the prophet were told he is still alive. And he visits those who are very righteous, like the lowest level of prophecy. Even after prophecy concluded, it ended. Nevertheless, there's a certain measure of prophecy that's still available when Elijah the prophet comes to visit the righteous. So this person, Barhehe, the author of our Mishnah, he had an interaction with Elijah. And in that interaction, they were talking about the benefits of poverty. And how when someone does not have great wealth, there is a silver lining. Why? Because now they can focus more on their spiritual pursuits. When you have very little material wealth, possessions, success, there is some benefit in that you can maybe focus more on the spiritual agenda, on the agenda of your soul. And again, it seems to imply this idea that when you endure pain in this world, that perhaps can amplify the reward that you have in the next world. It's important to note, we don't, as a religion, we don't lionize pain and suffering or poverty But nevertheless, if you are tested by God in that way and you have to endure pain, you are 
a recipient of benefits from that pain as well. So that's the idea of this Mishnah. Bar Hey Hey, the son of Hey Hey, he tells us, Lufum Tsara Agra, to the degree of pain is the degree of reward. Now, you probably noticed that the author of this Mishnah, Bar Hey Hey, or Ben Hey Hey, the word Bar and Ben are interchangeable. And the author of the previous Mishnah, Ben Bagbag, are both unusually named. And the Tosfos tells us that these two authors are both named in this unusual fashion for the following reason. They are both converts. They both were born as non-Jews and they converted and that's why they're called Ben Bagbag and Ben Hey respectively. And the commentaries explain that we know that there's a gematria system. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet is assigned a corresponding number. So Aleph, the first letter, well, that's number one. And Bez is number two. And Gimel is number three. The word Bag Bag, how do you spell the word Bag? It's a Bez and a Gimel. Two plus three equals five. Ben Bagbag, Bagbag, the word Bag is five. And what's the letter that corresponds to number five? Well, that would be the fifth letter. So Aleph, Bez, Gimel, Dalit, Hey. Ben Hey Hey is also five. Ben Bagbag is the son of five five. And Ben Hey Hey is the son of five five. And this is hinting, we're told, to the fact that they're both converts. Because when someone converts, you get the letter Hey, the letter five. And that began, of course, with Abraham. Abraham was originally called Avram, Abram. And they might have changed his name. And they might have added a Hey, Avraham. And Sarah, his wife, well, she was originally Sarai. And the Yud was replaced with a hey, Sarah. Sarah. So both Abraham and Sarah, the original converts, they grew up, they were, they came from families of idolaters. And they both converted. And they both got a hey added to their name. And that's the Ben Bagbag and Ben Hey Hey. They're both converts. And they both have the letter hey indicating their pedigree and transformation. Now, why is the letter hey added to converts? So the Maharal explains that the letter hey that corresponds to transformation and to spirituality. The most spiritual of letters is the letter hey. And he quotes the Talmud in the book of Menachos, page 29b. The Talmud tells us that the Almighty created this world, Behibaram, which means that he created this world, but it can be read, Behibaram, the Almighty created the world with the letter Hey. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. And then the Maral points out that the sound 
that a hay makes, it's solely breath. Like, I'll do it for you. How does a hay sound? It's a ha, ha. It's just breath. And we know that the Almighty blew into the nostrils of man the breath of life. The word for breath in Hebrew, it's the same root as the word for soul. To breathe, that's to infuse the body with life. It's like the soul. And therefore, the sound that's the most spiritual sound is the sound that's most soul-like. And therefore, someone who converts, someone who's joining the holiness and is accepting the letter hey. And as a result of that, the authors of these two Mishnahs, Ben Bagbad and Ben Heihe, they were converts, and that's why they get the letter hey. What an interesting idea. Now, the Tosas Yamtif says something fascinating. He says these converts, they converted when? They were both in the era of Hillel. This is under Roman rule. And the Romans were not kind to those who abandoned Roman life and joined the Jews. And they would hunt them down. And they would persecute them. And therefore, as a way to protect these people from informers, they gave them pseudonyms to protect them from persecution. The Romans would persecute Jewish converts as a way of covering up their identity. They're called by their pseudonyms, Ben Bagbag. No one knows who that is. That's not the name that they were called by originally. You can't really identify them. Ben Hey Hey, they're converts, but no one really knows their identity. It's like the like a Jewish version of the witness protection program. Now I found it interesting, you know, if this is the author of our Mishnah, he was someone that underwent a very difficult transformation. Not only did he have to change his whole way of life, he was persecuted, or at least there was the threat of persecution looming over him at all times. So if he didn't have an easy life, it made sense perhaps that he would be the one who's chosen to give this message that your suffering is not in vain to the degree of pain is the degree of reward. And in general, the commentaries say, you know, these messages, previous Mishnah, Torah is everything, turn it over and turn it over and never stop studying it. There's no greater measure. There's no greater pastime. There's no better return on your investment than Torah study. And to the degree of pain that you have when studying, that's the degree of reward. These two teachings that are lauding Torah, it is very fitting that they come from converts. Like the Maral explains, a conversion, that's like an individualized Sinai, a Sinai revelation. The Jewish nation, we received it all together. The converts, they, on an individualized scale, they experience Sinai. The Torah was given in the desert. The desert is no man's land. That's to signify, says the Maharal, that the Torah was open for all. Whoever wanted to take it, to come and take it. We are familiar with the idea that the Almighty, in fact, offered it to all the nations, and they all rejected it. 
But from God's perspective, the Torah was available and offered to all. An individual convert is a personalized Sinai, and it makes sense thus that the praise of Torah would fittingly come from a convert. And what's he telling us? Lefum tsara agra, to the degree of pain, is the degree of reward. We believe in reward and punishment. Reward for good things, punishment for bad things. How is this calculated? According to the pain that a person experiences. Now, it's interesting that this Mishnah is actually not authored in Hebrew. If you would write this in Hebrew, you would say something like lefi instead of lefum. And tsara means pain, but tsa'ar is pain in Hebrew. And agra, agra is the Aramaic word for reward, but the word schar is the Hebrew equivalent. This Mishnah, or this three-word aphorism, is in Aramaic. Why was it in Aramaic when the entire Mishnah is written in Hebrew? That question is asked by all the commentaries. Rashi gives us an interesting answer. He says that this is an axiom. This is an aphorism. This is something that's supposed to go on a bumper sticker. It's a message for the masses. The masses speak Aramaic. Hebrew was the language of the Torah, the language of the scholars, but the lingua franca, that was Aramaic. And therefore, if you want to convey a message to the masses, you speak to them in the language that they understand. You tell them in Aramaic, Lefum Tsara Agra. Perhaps we can speculate, you know, it also rhymes. Lefum Tsara Agra. It's kind of sticky. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Somehow our brains are just designed that when something rhymes, it just, it has more credibility. Maybe that's why Lefum Tsara Agra is not only in Aramaic, but it also kind of has a nice ring to it, and it does kind of rhyme, and that makes it stickier. Now, there's another idea here, a related idea, that this Mishnah is telling us that you should do things that are hard. We choose to go to space not because it's easy, Kennedy said, but because it's hard. We choose to immerse ourselves in Torah, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And the masses who speak Aramaic, they're scared because it's vast. It's imposing. It's difficult to study Torah. They need to hear this message. They need to know that the pain is worth it. Now, the Chassid Yaivetz, he connects this Mishnah to the previous one. Ben Bagba told us that we should continuously study Torah, turn it over and turn it over, review upon review upon review, because it's the best thing to do. The more you review something, the more painful it is to continuously review it. The reward for hardship is connected to review. The previous Mishnah told us to review it, but it's hard comes along, Ben Hayhan says, yeah, it's hard, but that is a feature, not a bug. That is a benefit, not a drawback, because that 
means that the reward that you will accrue is that much greater. But I think more broadly speaking, you know, this Mishnah is a transformative idea. There's an amazing difference in reward, in benefit for Torah study versus all other pursuits. We're told that the reward hinges on the degree of difficulty, on the pain that we experienced. But what if the results are not there? So if you're a mathematician or a scientist or any other scholar and your dissertation is not complete, but you worked really hard, no one cares. In Torah, the effort is rewarded. Not the results. And that gives us a very unusual system in which someone can have enormous accomplishments, but they'll be rewarded less than someone with quite meager accomplishments. Because if it was really easy for someone to make enormous accomplishments, then the reward for that is not that great. After all, it was easy for them. Someone else has a very small amount of accomplishments. Their accomplishments compared to the other ones is very minimal, but they had to work so hard, they had to sweat, and they had to toil, blood, sweat, and tears to get that, their reward is going to be greater. Commensurate to the pain is the reward. It's, in fact, a true meritocracy, because, of course, only God can judge this, but God will judge what you did not take into account all that he did. If he gave you a galactic brain, you haven't earned anything. Only when you invest the effort, the painful effort, only that accrues to your reward coffers. If you have a small, less capable intellect, it's not your fault. You're not to be blamed for that. What you are to be blamed for, what is in your control, is how much effort you are willing to invest. When you invest that effort, notwithstanding the pain, for that you are rewarded. Now, our sages tell us that there is a certain way to actually measure the amount of reward for pain. It tells us, Echad Bitsar is worth a hundred shalobitzar. One mitzvah, one good deed, one Torah star, whatever it is, done in pain, has the same merit and reward for that identical mitzvah or Torah study done without pain. You have a hundred to one. A hundred times you study without pain, that equals once studying with pain. And the sages of Kelm tell us that that's only referring to a minor pain. If it's a major pain, then it's a hundred X that, and therefore 10,000 times when it's not painful equals one time when it is really painful. Which is an amazing idea. Of course, every mitzvah is different, and we don't know the reward system of mitzvos, but this we know for sure. The harder it is, the greater the reward 
And that number is not just, you know, 2x, it could be a 10,000x. What an opportunity it is when someone has a very difficult thing in front of them. And for them to accomplish it, it demands a lot of pain. That's an opportunity for a thousand bagger, as they call it. A 10,000 bagger. You're buying Amazon in 1997 or Netflix in 2002. This is going to triple and quadruple and quintuple a thousand X. One mitzvah, one Torah study done in pain. Now, as we mentioned earlier, this Mishnah could give you the impression that pain and suffering is a good thing. Typically, we don't view that as a Jewish ideal. So the Rambam tells us something really interesting. He says that it's not the pain itself that garners, that triggers the reward, the outsized reward. To the degree that a person has to suffer and toil and sweat to do something positive, to do a mitzvah, to to study, that is the degree that that mitzvah or that Torah embeds itself within that person. Meaning, if you just you study leisurely and it's not hard and you're not toiling, you're not sweating, you're not that engaged, the imprint that the Torah will have upon you is very minimal. But when you really sweat and you really work really hard, then that Torah is going to be implanted and embedded within you in a very indelible way and to the degree that the Torah is actually infused in a person, that's the degree of reward. So almost like the reward is a proxy for how much the Torah and the mitzvos and the messages of God are going to be absorbed and integrated within a person. The reward is not necessarily just for the hardship itself. The reward is commensurate to how much this Torah and these mitzvahs were integrated into your essence. And the more difficult that is for you to do something, the more it gets absorbed into you. And consequently, the reward is that much greater. The Maharal is a similar for- formula. He says that the harder it is for you to do something, the more of a closeness that that engenders between you and your creator and the degree of reward is commensurate to the degree of closeness. And then he says, you should not artificially and deliberately make something more difficult because then you don't gain the extra rewards. So someone could say, you know what? If you study Torah and the kids are causing mayhem in the house, it's very difficult to do that. So let's wake up all the kids in the middle of the night and that way let them cause a ruckus and that way I have more reward. No, we don't ask for pain. We don't ask for suffering. But in the event that the Almighty does put us in a situation where we are experiencing more pain and suffering and then we nevertheless endure and we batter through it, that indeed gives us great merit. I think this is an amazing idea. The judgment of the divine is very different than ours. You know, I always tell people who grew up 
without a strong background or with a less strong background in Jewish learning or Jewish observance, observance of mitzvahs. I say you guys have it easy. Because if you have been, because tra- if you've been trained to do mitzvah since you were a kid, it becomes second nature. Of course you keep Shabbos. Of course you wear tzitzis. Of course you wear tzvillin. But if this is foreign to you, it's very difficult for you to do it. You have to change your habits. You have to change your lifestyle. What? I can't just go to McDonald's? I got to eat only kosher? That's so hard. That's so inconvenient. It's so expensive, the kosher meat. The more someone is integrated into this way of life, the easier it is. And therefore, the less reward they get. So I always say that the people who don't grow up with this background are so lucky because they have an opportunity for outsized reward. For me, if you paid, if you paid me a million dollars, I wouldn't violate Shabbos. You give me a check, certified cashier's check, a million dollars, I wouldn't violate Shabbos. And I don't think that's a praise. I'm not trying to take credit for that because I don't know anyone in my neighborhood who grew up in the same way I did that would take that deal. Because we've been indoctrinated. We've been brainwashed from day one. There's no reward for that. It's so easy. It's just a way of life. Someone who didn't grow up with that same value system, for them to keep Shabbos, to shut the store, to not watch the television, turn off their phone, to not drive their car, to not make food on Shabbos, got to prepare the, all the food ahead of time. That's very difficult. And to the degree of difficulty is the reward. The Talmud tells us, In the place where the Bali Tshuva, where those who repent and return to God, where they stand, even those that are completely righteous cannot stand there. If someone is a complete tzaddik, day one, they're a tzaddik since day one. Someone else is a Russia since day one. But they transform themselves and become about Shuva. Repent. They return to God. Who's higher? Who's loftier? Says the Talmud. Those who are Bali Shuva. And this is the reason why. To the degree of pain and difficulty is the degree of reward. And therefore, if it's difficult and it's painful, then the reward is that much greater. Even like we said, 10,000 times more. If someone's righteous and they're doing all everything, everything properly and they're studying Torah and they're doing mitzvahs and they're fastidiously observing everything. But if it's easy, if they've been trained to do it from a very young age, the reward is quite minimal. Relative to the other person to whom it was difficult, that reward is outsized. Talmud tells us that there was a sage who died. He died! And then he was resuscitated. And he had a near-death experience. He witnessed stuff from the other world and came back to reveal to us what he saw. And the sages asked him, well, what do you see? He said, I saw an upside-down world. The lofty ones are lowly, and the lowly ones are lofty. And they responded, no, no, you didn't see a, you didn't see an upside-down world. 
You saw a clear world. So the commentaries explain, in our world, the way we judge people is by outcome, by results. And therefore, we look at the lofty ones. Those are the ones with tremendous accomplishments. And the lowly ones are the ones with very minimal accomplishments. With a dearth of accomplishments. But that is not how they are judged in heaven. In heaven, sometimes the lofty ones are lowly. There was no pain. It wasn't hard. You didn't push yourself. You were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. In God's eyes, it's not so impressive. The lowly ones, those with relatively fewer accomplishments, but it was really hard for them, they are lofty in that world. In the spiritual world, on the spiritual level, those who struggled, those who worked hard, they get rewarded immensely. And of course, only God can measure that. And by the way, this works in reverse as well. If someone struggles to resist temptation and resist sin, that is actually not as bad, not as destructive and harmful as someone who struggles very little and capitulates very easy. We are supposed to be employed by God to fight. And that means to fight to do a mitzvah even though it's hard, and to fight to resist the sin, even though it's hard. The name of our people is Israel. Why are we called Israel? Why was Jacob renamed Israel? Because he fought and struggled with the angel. He's not named after the triumph. He's named after the effort and the struggle and the skirmish that he had with the angel. We're here to fight. We're here to toil. And of course, we don't opt in for more pain and more suffering. But when we do have suffering and we do have pain, that will redound to our benefit. We work hard and the Almighty will reward us handsomely. I thank you for listening. My email address is rabbiwolby.com. I look forward to your questions, your comments, your feedback. Of course, five-star reviews for all the podcasts. Thank you for listening from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. Until next time, we have now finished the fifth chapter of Pratyavos. One more chapter to go. The sixth chapter is upcoming. One of the most legendary chapters in all of Mishnah. I really appreciate your listenership.